right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. So today we've got an awesome show because we're chatting with Greg Panora about the champion's mindset. Now, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, really, really excited to have you on. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and essentially like why you're here today? Absolutely. Um, my name is Greg Panora. I am 40 years old. Fuck. <laughs> um, I've been powerlifting for about 20 years now, 21 years now, actually. Um, my career, kind of, as far as everybody knows, started at Westside Barbell. Um, I went over there at 25 years old. I broke the world record seven times. I took the world record from 24, 83, or 82, 26, 30. Um, and then I had a massive stroke at, at 30 years old. Um, I had a brain aneurysm, led to a massive stroke, um, lost everything, uh, control of the right side of my body. And so for three years, I kind of retired from the sport. And I decided to go back into Raw. And um, at that point, pretty much everyone had forgotten about me. And I kind of had to start back at the bottom. And uh, that's sort of when the, my career became interesting. Um, I worked myself up to number three in the world. I totaled 2102, Raw with no wraps, 275. Um, went a single ply for a minute, totaled 2335. So the goal has kind of been to be great at everything. I want to be world class and all kinds of powerlifting. Um, and they're, they're, they're very different, far different than me. People understand mechanics are different. The way I trained was very different. Um, but I think at this point, I sort of mastered them all. I think I, I could, I could, I could, I could step on stage at a world stage in all three types of disciplines. And so that was the goal. Um, since then, I've gone on, on the coaching. Um, I spent a long, 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 long time reading and perfecting, um, trying to understand the science of this. Because the thing is, just because you're great at the sport doesn't mean that you, you understand it um you know when i was at west side as the best in the world but i couldn't tell you a fucking thing i was just sort of i was just listening and do what i was told you know which, which is great for an athlete but as a coach you have to understand what's going on so it took a long time to to understand first of all why why i was good at this and second of all you know how to do this correctly there's definitely a certain way ebb and flow and way this this this, this needs to go and that's the part I think that most people have trouble with is, is that because it becomes some instant gratification type of thing in the gym. And it's really not the way, the way it's supposed to be done. So I'm here to teach that now. And that's where my goal is. That's awesome, man. And yeah, you said something that was really interesting. So like, you know, you were one of the best in the world, but at the same time, you just felt like you didn't necessarily really know how to either communicate that or you're like, yeah. You know, well, why am I the best? I'm not exactly sure. And, and it's so funny because I, I had Mike Desher on the podcast last week and we were talking about something pretty similar. How, you know, when I first started being a coach, there, there was a moment where I realized it was like, okay, I'm getting clients results. But then someone was like, well, what's your system? Like, how do you, like, how do you customize or individualize programs for your athletes? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, you know what I mean? Like right. it was very, it was very much an intuitive process. Like I knew right. what to do, but right. then like to put pen to paper, it was like, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> right, and, right. and it's like you said, it's a whole different ball game. Like once you actually have to like coach other people and kind of like Absolutely. communicate Absolutely. these things as well, you're just like, Jesus, it's a whole nother level. So it's, it's funny that you brought that up. Um, so how, how did you come up into the sport of powerlifting? Like when did you start lifting initially? So I started lifting weights at 13. Um, what happened was I went to high school a year early. Uh, not because I was smart, just because, you know, mm -hmm. I, they thought I was, you know, ready to go to high school at 13. And so I had been a good athlete my entire life. And But when I went there with the high school, the school is, a, a you know, for me at the time, a big school. 
um, it was scary. Uh, the kids that the kids that eighth grade I was the same size as had gone through puberty and grown, gotten a lot bigger and stronger, and so I could not keep up with them. In my last day of football practice, one of the big bigger kids threw me on the ground, and spit on me. He goes, "Why are you such a fucking pussy?" And I was like, oh. and uh, the uh, senior quarterback had to help me up. He's like, "Leave him alone, man. He's doing the best he can." And it was the most embarrassing thing. It's in front of everybody. Yeah. It was so embarrassing. And so I went home that day and I said, Dad, I said, can you help me write a program, a weightlifting program? And he wrote me a very simple program, bench press, squat, military press, pull-ups, um, very basic stuff. And I ran it uh, for, for the, that year, all through the summer. And at some point during that time, I hit puberty. And so I came back sophomore year weighing about 220. I had a 405 bench press. And, um, and it sort of blew everyone's mind. And so at that point, I realized that maybe I'm special. Maybe I have something, something I can do. That. At 14? Yeah, four, I, 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 had four, I had about 15, I had about a 4 or 5 bench press, yeah. yeah. The funny thing about it was, though, I wasn't the strongest kid in the school. We had a yeah. kid who was a year younger who had a 455 bench press in top. He was a USA lifter. He could bench 455. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, nobody really took it that seriously. Uh, but, you know, later on, a few years later, I started reading about West Side Barbell. <clears throat> and it just changed everything for me. That was that was it. That was like, it was like, I mean, it was just, it was the most moving, magical thing I'd ever seen. And I was like, I need to be part of that. I'm not sure how you do it, but I'm going to figure that out. And uh, from that point on, I sort of, I sort of stopped caring about sports. I was a good athlete, but I stopped caring about sports mm-hmm. really, or even girls, school. I was like, I just need to be in Ohio. And, uh, and finally I did it at 25, which is 12 years later, you know, most people have a dream at 13. At some point it kind of seems like, eh, you know, I'm going to give that up and yeah. you know, find new dreams, but I never lost. It was still always there. And then I did it. And, uh, yeah, that's the best thing I ever did. That's interesting. Like how much of an impact do you think the, uh, that incident with, with, with the guy who was kind of like bullying you or teasing you, like how much of that actually influenced like your either you drive to get started or you drive to kind of persist when, when you started actually lifting. It was everything, man. That's all I thought about, you know, the funny thing about it was like that kid grew up too. He became actually a really good friend of mine. And uh, so, but for that summer, man, it's all I did in the gym. I was, you know, I would go, I would I'd work out like three hours a day, then run. And then I used to have a tree. I would hit like a, like a football player. I would do it for hours at a time. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, and I pretend it was him. And it, yeah. it really, 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 you know, and mind you, I grew up in the nineties, you know, nineties were a little bit different yeah. than now, you know, rules yeah. were quite the same. You can kind of fool people <laughs> not really care. You know I mean? The shower, yeah. the locker room showers were insane, like prison lockers. Yeah. But, you That's know, and, uh, and everything, and it, you know, still today, even like, I still kind of feel like that little kid sometimes, you know, it still drives yeah. me. That's crazy. Cause a lot of the people that I talk to who, have a big goal there usually is like an incident like that where something happened and it's usually negative you know Uh, like like for me i got into i got into boxing so i I fought and did muay thai for like eight nine years and um yeah and and the reason why i started was actually because i got bullied by some some dude who like was kind of an acquaintance he like i was at my locker and there were all these guys they kind of like came around me and i was like what the fuck's going on he like slapped me in front of everyone and i was so embarrassed and i was really mad that i didn't know what to do right, and so right, i was like right, yes, that's exactly. never gonna happen again and yep. that's why i started and like 
And I know so many lifters and so many fighters and so many people who, who have that where it's like something happened and they're like, I'm not going to be a victim. And then all of a right, sudden, you're like, exactly. Jesus, man, you, you really went with that and ran. Exactly. And it's exactly. crazy. And now you have like seven world records. Like, yep, you know, right. you're kind of like, you kind of almost want to be like, man, I, I owe you, I owe you like a lot of gratitude, yeah. actually, you know? I, I, told, I told him that actually recently, you know? Yeah. I, I, I still talk to him, you know? And he, yeah. he's become a very, very good human being. Yeah. I think just at that age, I think he was probably experiencing what he did to me to the older kids. Yeah. You know, and obviously I'm not, there's no anger towards him now, but yeah. like it, it really was a driving force for this whole thing to happen. Had that not happened, yeah. I'd probably be a normal person, you know? I'm kind of glad I'm not. Who are some of the people that you really looked up to when you were kind of coming up the ranks, whether in the sport of powerlifting or out the sport of powerlifting? Well, there, there was two in the sport of powerlifting. Uh, obviously, Chuck Vogelpool. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuck was my god growing up. I remember it's kind of a funny story. When I was probably 20, 20 years old, I started dating this girl, and we drove all around like the East Coast looking for that flame beanie. You know, the one that you wore back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We went everywhere looking for that hat. We, and I finally found one that kind of looked like it. And so I wore it to the comp, and the, and the head judge was like, take that goddamn hat off. You're not Chuck Vogelpool. There's <laughs> 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 like four other guys wearing the same hat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, obviously Ed Cohen, too. Ed Cohen is still, you know, yeah. Still a huge driving force. I love it, Ed. Um, then outside of powerlifting, like it's kind of a funny story. Um, how it's kind of all connected. My father, when I was a little kid, I was probably five or six. He was reading a book about Sir Edmund Hillary, who was the first guy to climb um, climb to the top of um, of uh, Everest. Yeah. And uh, and he was telling me how crazy that was, and how he was able to do it with no equipment, how much he struggled. And that story always always sat with me, and even still does today. And th- I wanted to do something that nobody else had ever done. I wanted to be the best at something. And that was a huge driving force as well. And I, I, at, first, at first, I honestly thought I was going to be skateboarding. I was a really good skateboarder as a kid. Yeah. And uh, I ended up going to Cape Cod, if you know, Massachusetts. I went to Cape Cod and, and, and went skating with a couple of pros. And those guys were so much better than I was. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I can ever do this. Then it kind of became snowboarding. It was sort of the same thing. I actually got some pretty big sponsorships as a kid. And I was good, but not quite. I don't think I quite had it. Then I started lifting weights, and I was like, "Yep, that's it. That's it right there." And yeah. I knew almost immediately. I could feel it. I could feel it like in my soul. That makes sense. Oh, really? Yeah. You, so right right away, you were like, "Man, this is." Yeah. Yep. So everybody's on on this bench press machine. Yeah. At football, and I went over there and beat everybody. Everybody's like, "What the fuck?" You know? Because I, I wasn't. I was. I'm actually very genetically a small kid. My family's yeah. all, all runners. My father was a captain of his running team at college. Right. Track team. My sister's a marathon runner. My mom's been a lifelong runner. Um, yeah. But it just didn't appeal to me. And you didn't have that with anything else, eh? No, nothing. Nothing since, really, honestly. It's uh-huh. always been that. And so I put 100% of my focus in. Basically, on day one, I said, okay, this is it. And I went and bought a bunch of muscle magazines and a bunch of uh, supplements. Mm-hmm. And, you know, went, went in 100%. You know, yeah, and, and really never let up. You know, it's still really all I think about. You know, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. That's crazy. So one of the things that I'm always really interested in is hearing from people like yourself about, you know, what it actually takes, sacrifice, things like that. So Mike Tyson's a huge, um, I guess, idol of, of mine, right? Like he's someone I really look Me up too. to because one of the big things he talks about is he's like, you have no, what did he say? I remember there's an interview where he's like, you, you, you don't want my world. Like you, you couldn't last two days in my world. You don't understand what I have to give up, the sacrifices I have to make. And 
and I really think that people don't understand the sacrifices to, you know, not, not just to be good, but to like, if you really want to stand out and that's something that the more experienced I get in lifting and in like the research that I'm doing as well, the more that I start to look at like, you know, the people at the top and I'm like, holy man, like you have to cut out everything. And, and so like, what did, what did that mean for you? Like, what did you actually do? What were some of the big sacrifices that you had to make? I, I live I live in Maine. Um, and before I moved out to West Side, I was in Maine. Now Maine's Maine's a great state. It's very pretty. Um, you know, a lot of fun stuff to do here. But it, it's not exactly a place where you're going to be pushed. And yeah. so my 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 first you know three or so three or four years were spent here in Maine. You know, competing. And I was I was I was a good lifter. I wasn't anything special really. You know, I, I win best lifter in most comps. But outside of Maine, like I, I, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was overly special. And then, so I realized I had to go, and, and the, the plan had always been to go out to Ohio. And then I had a chance to do it, and I took it and uh, moved out there. And, and honestly, my first few months there were absolute fucking hell. Like, you know, now it's a cool story, and it sounds like it was awesome. But it was, yeah. it was fucking misery. Every day I was, I was sleeping in my car at 9 o'clock at night. I lived in my car. And so I had no place to go. I, I only, I moved out there with a hundred bucks. And, uh, I was like, so for me, it meant, it meant I had to give up basically all, you know, things that, that human beings get very used to and very comfortable doing. I couldn't take showers. I was starving. Um, you know, living in my car. And the thing about living in your car is that we were, we were done training by 11 a.m. <laughs> and then what? Then I'm sitting in my car for the entire day and night, you know? Yeah. And so for me, it was that. And it was, you know, I've given up, you know, I, I've, I've not really been able to get into a relationship where I'm going to marry somebody because this is my focus, you know. It's hard yeah. to be in a relationship where the girl or the guy, depending on, is, is, not, the, is not the focus, you know. And it, it becomes a problem every single time. So I, I, I've given, I had given up, I've given up a lot of things that, that people, I think, take for granted in the daily life. You know, plus the eating, I eat, you know, seven, eight times a day, I you know, I, I, I have naps planned in. Basically, the big thing you have to do if you want to go to this is create habits. And the habits don't have to make sense to other people. It just has to make sense to you. My eating times are always the same every day. I, don't, I will not change them up for anybody. Um, training is the same. You know, over 20 years, it's become a lot easier. I feel weird. If I'm, if I'm, like, if I'm with somebody and we're driving and I have to eat, we're going to stop somewhere and eat. You know, I don't care if they want to eat or don't want to eat. They don't want to go to a fucking Applebee's. They can sit in the car, you know? Yeah. Go to fucking Applebee's. Eat some fucking, eat some fucking steak tips, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, and so for me, it's, it's just, it's really just been about creating good habits. Yeah. And, and like you said, I, I think the one thing that's really interesting, um, that I think a lot of the times really gets neglected when we're like just in the conversation about sacrifice in general are the little things that are repeated every single day. Like a lot of the times people think sacrifice, people think sacrifice is like this big grand gesture where it's like, okay, that's it. I'm moving, you know? And it's like, that's like, that's the start of it, you know? And like you said, you know, every day, a lot of people can't, can't imagine what it's like to be finished training at 11 AM and then have the rest of the day where you're chilling in your car and all of the additional things that come on. I I didn't know anybody either. So I had friends go hand with, so I basically sit in my car and stare at the ceiling in my car all day long, you know. Yeah. It was a really shitty car too, you know. So yeah. it, was, it was hard, you know. It, it was very hard. It was a hard time. I was able to shower once a week, you know, at a, a little rest stop. And the thing about it was, I don't want to tell anybody. You know, it was embarrassing. I'm homeless. I don't have a place yeah. to go. I can't afford to eat. I don't have a job. I, 
it was my fault, obviously. I went out there with absolutely no planning. But yeah. sometimes in life, you have to do things without planning if you want to be great. And so I watch, and I hear it all the time, you know, local guys, you know, I want to be great, what should I do? Get the fuck out of here, man. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere where great lifters yeah. are built. You know? Um, and then they look at me like I'm crazy. You know, you, you obviously can do it wherever you're at, but you're going to have a much better chance if you're around very, very, very strong fucking people. And so for what, at Westside, that was the whole thing. Everybody there is fucking strong. Everybody was great. Nobody was, there was even, even, you know, there was nobody even, even that notch under great. Everybody was fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So that, that will make you great. That's what made me great. You know, I wanted to be the best. I was willing to push past what they were doing. And so at the beginning, I was training three times a day. So that, that made it a little bit easier. I was doing a morning workout, with my big workout, then like two smaller workouts after. And, and also, so the thing too was when I first got out there, I lost a ton of weight. I lost about 15 pounds because I wasn't eating. And so what I would do to eat, because obviously I was starving, <clears> is I would go to a grocery store. There's an all-night grocery store almost across the street. And I would go over there every day. And I'd open up a box of Nutrigrain bars, and I'd walk around the store and eat them and read magazines. And so that became part of my process. But Louis like, Louis was like, how, how do you come in and lose 15 pounds? Because everybody puts on 40 pounds. How are you losing weight? And finally, I was like, I'm kind of starving here, man. And so he started taking care of me and getting me food. I was eating his house and eating breakfast mm-hmm. and lunch and dinner with him every day. And so that helped out a lot. But, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to suck, you know, to be good. And that was the thing. You're going to have to do things that are fucking horrible to be great. Excuse my language. Can I swear? Yeah, you can do it if you want, man. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you're gonna have to do some things you don't want to have to. You don't want to do, and that's that's a, a big part of it, you know. Yeah, that that was always something that kind of got me as well. Was you know, like how long can you make these sacrifices for? Because it's it's really like you know, whoever is able to lift the longest, stay injury free, and push yep. super fucking hard all the time. Yep. Usually that guy's going to either be at the top or be at least be in the conversation, you know? And, uh, it's, it's really crazy because like on the one hand, I think absolutely genetics matter. Like, you know, no one who's at the top has inferior genetics, but at the same time, I, I also really think that people dramatically underestimate how far you can get with just super hard work and consistency over over years and years and years so when when did you start training at Westside again it was in 2005 i think so i i had had been lifting for 12 years before that i actually trained for seven years before i actually competed because Mm -hmm. i was like i I I would back in those days i would read everything written about powerlifting and louis was pretty adamant about building a base before he started with Westside programming which is one of the things I'm trying right. to do. And what, what I do now on my team looks nothing like Westside. But I yeah. see all these little kids wanting to train Westside. And Louie told me, if you're going to do Westside, you should have a 700-pound squat, a 450 bench, and a 700-pound deadlift. Mm-hmm. And so I see all these little tiny kids, little skinny kids doing Westside. It's like the, the, their max lift is a 200-pound you know, reverse band press. You're not doing enough. There's not enough work there. You know, you basically brought in your groceries. You're going to get better. Like, you need yeah. some volume in there. You, know, you need to build some muscle. And so when I first got off the west side, Louis was like, you're building a swimmer. He's like, you don't have to build power at all. He's like, yeah. so we have to put some weight on you. So my first six, eight months there were bodybuilding. He was going to me do bodybuilding movements, you know, to build up that base and that size. But I'm not sure where the information has gone because what I'm seeing people do now, it doesn't look like what I was doing. It looks very, very different than what we were doing. So. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think that's because a lot of the times, like what's communicated about Westside yeah. isn't necessarily like what he's actually saying. Nothing that I see looks anything like what we're doing. It's yeah. Like <clears throat> yeah. Like I honestly find that the more, the more I read into it, like when I first got introduced to Westside, I was like, this is ridiculous. This doesn't make any sense. But then at the one, at, at, at the same time, I had to be like, bro, just fucking check yourself. Like they got yeah. 40 world champions there. Like right, obviously right, right. they know what they're doing. Right. Right. And so, and so, but now the more that I, I guess the more that I train, the more that I'm like, oh wow. Like I think it's honestly that most people just aren't smart enough to understand a lot of that stuff. And also like, to be fair, Louis not necessarily the best communicator. Like, I feel like he's got so much information in his head, but he communicates and you're just like, wait, did you say, is that even English? Um, but yeah, the dude is crazy smart. That's for sure. So, so what were some of the, what were some of the lessons you learned? Cause I mean, like, honestly, training with that many champions and having like, like you said, no one was even a notch below great. Like what did that do? What does that do for your mindset and like kind of walking into the gym yeah. and just your confidence and everything? It uh, so it's kind of funny. My first week there, everybody's getting ready, ready for a comp. So the, the, my, it was my first week there, and a week after that was the Iron House Classic. So none of the lifters were there. So it was, it was me and some old guy who was like Louis' neighbor. <laughs> we trained together my first week, and I'm like, this is what yeah. <laughs> So, so I was training, with, and we go drink Miller Lights after and grill. And I was like, this is not what I was expecting at all. And then we yeah. two, everybody came back, and I was like, holy shit, where am I? Like, yeah. you know, you're, you're expected to be great. You know, you're expected to be great. If you're not, I'll just throw you off. And so that's sort of, that's the thing that Westside does that no, that people don't understand, is when your back's against the wall, you're going to be your best, you know, or you're not. And, and Louis going to bring in, especially more so in those days, but he was going to bring in the best of the best and bring in 10 of them and bring it down to one. So he's kind of able to filter it down to the best. And so what you learn how to do there is compete. You know, you, you learn that mindset. You learn how to compete. And, you know, Louis is very adamant about that you're nothing but a number, you know. And I, I like that. That that sat really well with me, you know. You know, he always like, you're my favorite lifter because you broke the multiple records. And I like that. So it made me push for that. You know, all, all I cared about was winning. I didn't care about anything else. I didn't care about the science of it. I don't want to hear about technique shit. I just wanted to win. And and I was able to develop that mindset that way. I was also reading uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, biography right before I came, and that helped me out a lot too. But I mean, what did I, I learned a lot, man? You know, it's like I learned how to the, the thing that I see people doing incorrectly in powerlifting is they'll miss the lift and then they'll start crying about it, and their entire meat gets fucking shot. That's when my brain turns on. When I miss the lift. That's where everything goes. I say, okay, now it's fucking time to turn that on. But I think that's the hardest part for people to do. You know, I, I watched the lifters on my team. They miss a, their second squat. The entire meet's over. That's it. They're crying in the back. And you can't mm -hmm. be like that. That's when you have to turn shit on. You, know, you have to find your way around it. The thing about me when I lift weights that I think is different than everybody else is the entire time I'm lifting that weight, my brain is working 1,000 miles an hour. My brain doesn't stop. It's, it's going through it. It's, it's telling me exactly what I need to do because I've done it so many times. So, I mean, what did I, I learned? I learned how to win. I learned how to win and win all the time. <laughs> That's the biggest lesson. You yeah. have to learn how to be a winner. You have to develop that winner's mindset. So. so that's obviously like a really big contrast, especially nowadays where I find sometimes like 
you know, now that, now that I guess good quality information on like training programs, recovery and all this stuff is a lot more accessible, you know, it's really beneficial because now more people have access to it. But then at the same time, I kind of think that there's a little bit of like, almost like this, this benefit of being ignorant to some of this stuff. Cause oh, you yeah. don't know, you don't know about the negative repercussions of right. overtraining and right. a lot of these things. So and so you just yeah. fucking go, you know? And yeah. so like, a lot of the times nowadays, it's really easy to have people being really negative and being like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. That's too much. Or, you know, don't do this. Right. It's going to hurt your back or, or whatever. And and so right, 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 right. How, how how important is it to have people around you? Or I guess how important is it to, to make sure that people aren't around you who either don't support your goals, whether it's friends, oh, family, God, people everything. criticizing you about, you know, like your technique or whatever it might be. <clears throat> it, it's everything. I mean, you have to be around positive people. And so, for me, like when I moved to Westside, one of the one of the biggest, most important things that happened to me is I met a girl, and I met a girl who supported me a lot of times financially, definitely mentally. She pushed me. She she's like she was like, you know, you're gonna be the best. And she would tell me that every day, and I was, and eventually it happened. But um, her name was Katie, and you know, and so thank you, Katie, if you listen to this, that's the list of my podcast. So Katie, if you still listen, if you listen to this, thank you, you know. And she was a, one of the big, one of my major influences was her. It wasn't a powerful thing, I don't interest in powerful thing, but was just one of these very, very driven people. And so I watched how she went through life and kind of copied that and brought in the powerful thing. But you have to be around people that support you. And that was one of the things before I lived out there in Maine was that people weren't really supportive of what I was doing. They kind of made fun of me, you know what I mean? They didn't, they didn't want to hear about it. And so as soon as I got out there, as soon as this, people started seeing how good I was, Everybody was very, very supportive and had my back. Now, when you start breaking world records, that sort of changes because now you have a target on your head. But you know, it's 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 very, very important. Louis Louis was very, very, very supportive of, of my stuff. You know, and now I have the same thing with my best friend Swede. You know, Swede Burns. Yeah, I yeah, I know, I know, I know the name, and but... he's incredibly supportive of me and me back to him. But you have to be around people that share the same dream, the same passion. Yeah, understand it. Because back in those days, especially when, you, when I would tell somebody I'm the best on the planet, they would go, "Yeah, who cares? You know, nobody gives a shit." Yeah. My parents hated it. My whole family hated it. I remember I went home for a, uh, <clears throat> I had broken probably three or four world, world records, and I went home and I, I went home for like some sort of family reunion type of thing. And one of my uncles looks at me. He goes, "When are you gonna fucking grow up, man?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Because he goes, what you doing is for fucking kids, man. Was, nobody cares." And it really hurt my. I actually got my car and went control back. Control back. I was like, fuck that shit. But, you yeah. know, I, there's definitely a lot of that through my life. You know, and there still is. There definitely still is. Um, yeah. You know, with, with girlfriends and things. Girls, you know, it seems to be the girls that I meet are, are sharing the same dream that I'm having, you know. And at this point, I've become very successful doing this. I make a lot of money. Um, life's not really, you know, my life is pretty set at this point. But, you know, especially in those days where, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I broke the world record. The first question always is, how much money do you make? Yeah. You know, <laughs> not much <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean supportive people are everything you know and so how do you go about managing those relationships then because a lot of the times people just aren't whether it's friends whether it's family like what do you do you know are you just like cut them out i will drop you in a fucking heartbeat <laughs> in a fucking heartbeat mm-hmm. i will pack my shit up and walk out of the house and never talk to you yeah. again the second you second you start getting on me about that stuff we're done. It's not going to work. Yeah. We're done, you know? I won't even say anything. I won't stick around and fight. I'll throw my shit in a bag and leave, you know? I've done it my entire life, and at this point, obviously, I'm 40. I'm single, but I feel like it's probably best, you know? 
at this point right yeah. now to right now, my goal is to be the best coach on the planet. I know it sounds crazy, but so it's being the best coach on the planet. Um, you know, but again, it's a very, very hard thing to tell people, especially where I'm at now. Maine's a very small community. It's a small state. It's sort of far mm-hmm. away from everybody else. So it's, it's tough when you tell people you want to be the best in the world. They think you're crazy, you know, and it's probably true, you know, Yeah. but I'm going to keep fighting. So that's kind of interesting. You said you wanted to be the best coach. Uh, before, before I actually go into that, I, I do have one thing to say about um, cutting people out. Like, yeah. so I got recruited for a coaching role in, in Toronto. Um, I'm in Calgary right now. And so I moved there, was working there. COVID happened. Everyone got laid off. Um, and so, so now I'm back kind of for the time being transitioning. But uh, while I was down there, I didn't know anyone. And I was down there for like maybe three, four months. And the crazy thing was like not knowing anyone, like that was some of the best training I've ever had in my life. I had zero distractions. I had all the sleep. I had no one being like, because you know when you tell friends, you're like, oh man, like I had a wicked day training. They're like, oh yeah, that's really cool. And like you just tell they don't give a fuck. They don't respect it. They don't anything. You know, it's like I'd rather have someone be like, I don't care than like play bullshit, you know? But it was such an eye-opening experience. I was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. And and how much of a benefit it actually is when you can just like focus and you don't have any of that, those people. So like, that was something that was a new learning experience for me. You you knew that I guess since you were like five years old apparently. <laughs> but uh, coming back to to being the best coach, that's a really cool goal. So, do you have a way to to kind of quantify that? Um, not really, but I guess I want to put up. I'm starting to get guys on my team into that world class level. We have, we have maybe seven or eight guys. I think this year will squat 900 pounds. Um, we've had multiple guys squat 850 plus range. So I want to put. I just want to start putting out guys on the map. You know what I mean? We we have quite a oh, few for, guys. Oh, for powerlifting. What's that? For powerlifting. Yep, for powerlifting. Yep. Okay, I train, cool. I train right now with 900 guys online, girls online. Jesus um, Christ! All, the world. all yep. you? What's that? All you, or do you have a team? All me. All me. Yep. Oh my yep. god! Yep. That's the, uh, we're, uh, all over the world. We're rep- every every continent except for Antarctica is represented. Um, <laughs> you know, we've countries I've never heard of. You know. I coach yeah. my people in Serbia. I don't know where Serbia is. You know, so it's, it's been amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'd like to – I want to be – I want to keep my name in people's mouths. You know, I want – I want yeah. like what we're doing right now. Like this for me, this this is this is my goal now is to do as many of these type of things as possible. Yeah. You know, I've lifted weights enough. I've, I've, I've won enough co-ops. I've done enough. Now it's time to talk. Now it's, I want people to understand how I do this and, and why I do things the way I do. Mm-hmm. Like quantifying it, I don't know. Best coach, uh, powerlifting uh, power watch. They put up, you know, the best coach. My friend Swede won it in uh, 2017. I'd like to win that soon. I think. Uh, okay, I think cool. I can. <laughs> we got in England who's going to squat a thousand. It's pretty. Yeah, we're uh, we're, we're getting it. I got some phenomenal girls on the team. You know, we're. I'm getting a lot of. I yeah. signed a guy today with an 881 squat. I mean, we're we're, we're doing it. It's going to happen. Yeah. And the trick That's is awesome. the trick is to keep them from getting hurt. If they stay if they stay uninjured. We keep getting stronger. So I have a PT yeah. that works on my team. I have a nutritionist. You know, every basically what I do was hire everybody from my team. It's all online, basically. Mm. But what I do is hire hire people that did things. Um, I, I I looked back on my career and said, what helped me? That I hired yeah. guys that did this stuff for me. I I don't I don't I don't really know a ton about injury. 
It's not like I don't mm-hmm. care. I've really never been injured. So it's not something I think a lot about. My diet was established when I, I eat the same way as I do when I'm 13. You know, my diet's been the same for the mm-hmm. last however many years that is, 27 years. So for me, I hire on guys that could do that for me better than I could. You know, and that's yeah. part of coaching too, is you have to realize the things that you can't do. You can't be great at everything. And so, you know, I appeal to that for me. You know, I had a bunch of coaches under me that did, you know, that have learned. My my best friend Mark Wood, shout out. Um, he uh, he does a lot of my coaching too. He, he understands technique. He's a much smarter guy than I am, and so he's helped out a ton. So it's tough to keep control. And you always have people quitting. You want to play go play West Side, you know, and do reverse band press and three pounds. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, I, I've been able to keep most of my most of my team because we keep getting better and better and better. And I coach the same way that I was coached. I'm not that, I'm not nice. I'll yell at you. I'll tell you're a fucking asshole. I'll tell you you suck, you know? Same way I was. I was never told I was good. But we never yeah. told I was good, you know what I mean? You know what's funny about that, actually, is um, there, was a, there was a paper that came out. I can't remember when it was. I actually wrote about it. I, I do some research reviews, and, like, I, I wrote about it a while back. But they were looking at differences in, in coaching styles and uh, beginners – they found that essentially beginners need a lot more positive reinforcement yes. where like intermediate and advanced actually hate it and, and yes. they don't do as well. Like they need right. more like constructive criticism and a lot right. more direct. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, like I definitely know if I if I get out from under the squat bar and I, I feel like I missed something and I look to my buddy and he's like, oh, no, you did great. I'm like, bro, what are you a bitch? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, well, why are you coming to me like that? that? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. See, um, what I sort of done is I found a way to, everybody does the same program. You know, the same stuff will work for everybody. The mm-hmm. variance from human to human is pretty minimal. Now, if we look at the history of strength who created all the science, it was created in giant groups in Russia. You know, Russians have created most of the science that we use. Mm-hmm. It was created in huge groups. And so what that told me was everybody could probably do the same thing. All the numbers are picked up in chart, so that, that's taken care of. And that's just going to fill in the blanks. And so I wrote a program. It took me about seven years to put it together, and it's worked every time. So I have, 80, I have an 80-year-old woman doing it. I have, guys, I have a guy that scores 1,000 doing it, and it mm. works for everybody. So, Well, that's the thing. Like Once you find that, that sort of system that works, yeah. like of, of auto-regulating for each individual and then being able to like fill in those, fill in those yeah. gaps of weaknesses yeah. and kind of bolster strengths – I mean, a lot of programs really do look pretty similar. Yeah, like absolutely. if 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 you strip like if you strip okay which exercise we're doing if you strip all that stuff and you just kind of have the skeleton it looks yeah. pretty similar. Yeah, absolutely, um, and it should it should it really should. I said yeah. I said a few months ago when I was running kind of funny Instagram posts. I said basically all programs are West Side or Chico, you know, and they sort of are. <laughs> they sort of all kind of you know they sort of all kind of look like that, um, and and they should all kind of look similar. The science hasn't changed, you know, so mm-hmm. they really should kind of look look that way. So it's not it wasn't a negative thing; it was a positive thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if the guys were in their programming, you know, they, it does all sort of look the same, you know, minus some minor nuances. You know, even if you look at like the stuff that Louis told me is the same stuff that Swede tells me. You know, they, they have they share the exact same thoughts on everything. The program is yeah. a little bit different, but again, it's nuances, it's small stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, and and, and it's funny, like the small stuff. A lot of the times that that's what really makes a difference in terms of like injury prevention and like, you know, bolstering some of those weaknesses, especially at the higher levels. So one of the things that, that I notice, even just kind of from following you on, on Instagram and stuff like that, is that you seem to have the, that really hard mentality, which is, you know, pretty reminiscent of, of like West side where everyone is kind of like that no bullshit sort of attitude. Um, I think as an athlete, that's really useful because 
you know, like like you said earlier about you know competition if you if you fuck up a squad or whatever it's like there is no sort of victim mentality it's just like anytime something bad happens it's almost like this is my fault what do i need to do to move forward right. you know and it can be really productive so how did you develop that like obviously it was something that kind of developed organically but how did you develop that and and do you have any advice to someone who maybe didn't have as difficult of of kind of an upbringing to sure. kind of get to that headspace <laughs> You, you sort of just have to learn it over time. That's the hard part. You know, you have to suck in order to be good. You know, there has to be a, a point of time where you sort of have to give yourself to that. Then I'm going to suck for a while and then I'll learn. The problem is that when people suck, they say, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I hate feeling like, I hate feeling like I'm doing terribly at this. I'm going to quit. But that's the time where you need to do the best. Now, for me, you know, my, my father, my father was hard on us growing up. You know, he expected me to be the best. When I made All-State in football my senior year, he goes, where are you ranking the other 49 states, you know? Like, you know, sort of how he always was. Like, yeah. you know, I, I was pushed pretty hard from a very, very early age. And then my coaches, you know, all the way through always pushed me hard. And so I became very used to it. It became a very, very, very good, um, a very, very, very good, uh, you know, good in- entrance to West Side. Like, my football coaches weren't really different than the movie. It was kind of the same shit. Mm. But, uh, you know, if you... The Muhammad Ali uh, autobiography is a great way to learn about mindset stuff. And a lot of stuff that I say and do is from that, um, basically. But, you know, it takes time. It takes a lot of losing and, and failing to be good. You have to be okay with that. And it's hard and it sucks. And it's hard, <clears throat> it's hard to not be the best. But you have to be okay with that for a while, you know, and keep working through that. And so I, when I went to Westside, you know, I was sure I was going to be the best. I knew I was going to be the best, you know. And I was able to be okay with that and say, okay, I'm gonna today. I'm just gonna work harder than everybody else. You know, I might not be the best. I might be the strongest, but I'll work harder. You know, and so you have to find ways around it like that. Well, maybe I wasn't the strongest, but I need two more. You know, and stuff like that. That mm. that's what that's how I do it. Yeah, like finding those little daily wins. Yeah, daily wins. That's yeah. right there. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Great. Yeah. No, and it's crazy how important that is. Like a lot of the times, I'll tell my lifters like you should aim to PR pretty much every session from like after week one, yep. you know, cause week one is usually the light intro stuff. And then I'm like, you should be hitting a PR every single session. And they're like, the really? Like, that, though, is fatigue. That build of fatigue. Well, so well what, I mean, what I mean by that is, is I, I don't necessarily mean like um, a new max. It's, it's yeah. like, you should be hitting a PR like, Hey, I lifted this for the same number of reps, but it was yes, smoother. Absolutely. It was faster. I had better technique. Yep, or, you know, I hit a rep PR or I was able to do more pull-ups on my accessories. So, like, but if you're always able right. to find those areas where it's Even like. Even if it's, I was more confident than it was last year. Yeah, exactly. Very, very small stuff, you know. And that's absolutely 100% true. Yeah, like I'm a really, really big believer of that because then it just motivates the hell out of you. And you're like, fuck, oh, what absolutely. can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Like, absolutely. what else can I do? And And then, like. Those little things that mean essentially nothing stack up, and now at the end of your program, you're hitting like a 30 pound PR at the end of your comp cycle, right? So, so that's that's awesome, man. Yeah, um, that, that's a big thing too. Yeah, like for me, my goal from day one was to be the best in the world, but I had a million little goals before that I had to hit, and I was able to yeah. do it pretty well. Um, you know, even now I'm constantly setting goals. Like my goal for my for 40 years old was 20 plus. No, I did it today after I turned 40, so now I need a new goal. But I was going to get 20 pull-ups the other day for the first time ever. How much do you weigh? That's how I keep getting better. How much do you weigh? Uh, 255. That's pretty good, yeah. 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 I'm old, too. I'm old. So, like, you know, 
know, it was, it, it's cool to still be doing stuff I've ever done. You know, yeah. last year at 39, I self unracked 555 and mentioned just missed 570 with self unrack. And, uh, you know, that was a big thing too. I want to keep getting better. I don't think age should mm-hmm. slow me down. You know, I think I can keep getting better as long as I stay healthy and make good choices. And now making choices yeah. is sort of, it's sort of ingrained in my brain at this point. So it's pretty easy. That's awesome. And like, obviously you get so much smarter and so much wiser, like as you, as you age where it's oh, like, crazy. you, you, you're not as strong, but you can probably hit new PRs just Absolutely. because you're more intelligent about how you approach yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's wild. Um, oh man, there was, there was something I wanted to ask as a follow up. Oh, right. When you were talking about goals, um, I know a lot of people who talk about like they write down their goals and they're like, I write down my big goals every single day. And then I read them and it's like, I understand that. But at the same time for me, I've always kind of been almost the opposite. Like I'll write down a goal and then I never look at it again because it's, because it's almost like it's too big. You know what I mean? Like, one of my goals is I eventually want to squat a thousand. And so to do that, I'll probably have to get up to about 370 body weight, right? Yep. I'm 260 right now. Yep. And like, that's a lot. And if I think about that, I'm like, fuck, man, that's like seven more years or some nonsense, you know? Right. But if, if I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go in and I just want to make sure that I smoke all my sets today. Yep. Like those are kind of the goals that I set or else, yeah, or else I just don't even get motivated, you know, because it's like, right. It's like, dude, what am I, I don't have any rewards for what, seven right. years, right. really? Right. Like, hell no. Right. Whereas if I go in today and I, I have that, uh, you know, like, hey man, I just want to really smoke these couple sets. I really, really want to do a really good job with that without breaking down. Right. Um, I want to go home. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm in bed at this time, making sure that I'm right. eating all my foods. Like, those are all those little wins. Those and wins. and I, <clears throat> I think people really underestimate the value of like stacking right. up just tiny wins. Right. You know, you have to have a plan too. Like if you mm. set a goal, if you set a goal, but don't have a plan, it's your dream. You know what I mean? I can say I'm mm. going to make a billion dollars this year. Yeah. But somebody says, how do you do that? And I say, I don't know. Then it's not a plan. It's a, it's a dream. It's a wild dream. You know? And another thing too, with yeah. mindset is you have to have a positive mindset. Like, I hear lifters all the time say, well, I suck at this or I suck at that. This is why you suck at it. Cause you say you suck at it. But I did yeah. it to myself. Like so, over the last year, I've been I've been very very I, I, I've stopped doing a lot of things I was doing to be very strong. You obviously know what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. I've, I've cut, you know on I'm on basically a TRT dose now. And so I sort of had it in my brain that my bench press was going to fall off, and it did. But you know it didn't. My squat and deadlift because it wasn't in my head. So you always have to be you know positive. Yeah. You, have to, you never I, I, I go crazy. My lifters say, I suck today, or I, or, this, or I suck at this. No, you suck at it because you, you think you suck at it. You have that ingrained in your brain. You know, always believe you're great. I always tell people, whenever I walk in a room, I assume I'm the strongest guy in there. Am I always? I don't know. But if you ask me, yeah, I am. Yeah. I was doing a seminar with that sweet Brendan Lilly. And one kid at, one of the kids asked, who's the strongest you three? And all three of my hands went up. You know, <laughs> that's how you have to think. You have to believe yeah, yourself. Yeah. And that's the thing I've always, always been able to do. I believe in myself 100, 100%. You know, I, back yeah. when I was, you know, the best in the world, I believed I was the best in the world. There was no question in my mind. You know, yeah. it's not like if you said, who's the best, I was going to say somebody else. I was going to say me. Yeah, you kind of have to. I mean, like, even when I was boxing, like, <clears throat> If you go in there and you're like, "Oh man, I don't know," yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're 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 in for a rough night, right. man. You're in for a rough night, right, you know. And right. you have like what? What? What was your best squad? It was like something ridiculous. 
Yeah, it's like you have 1060 on your back, and you're yeah. like, I don't know if I can do this. It's like, dude. Did you ever hear a story like, what happened on a squat? I don't know. Oh, it's a good story. So that day, I had, I had, I had an eviction notice on my house. I had bought oh, an expensive house. I and did so hear this. Yeah, my, yeah. My girlfriend, my girlfriend talked me into buying this fucking crazy house with her. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know. She said, we can't afford it. You know, you make so much money competing. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know. So I had an eviction <laughs> notice, and I was like, I was like, you know, probably 27. I had no business owning a house. And uh, and, and so I had to win that day. So my first, my, I opened up about 1,000, I think 1,000, maybe 1,020, we'll say. And crushed that. I felt great. Went to 1060. And I took it out a little bit. I took it out a little bit higher than I wanted to. And I fell forward with it. So I fell into the racks. And they had to pick it up off me. And the plates were, you know, a few inches off the floor. And I was, I'd basically done a good morning like that with the weights. And yeah. so I was curled over. They pulled a 1060 off me and put it back up. And uh, Chuck D had done my knee wraps that day. And they felt like my kneecap was going to explode. And so I was, I was like, I was like, I was like, everyone okay? And I was like, yeah, we're all right. I was like, I want to take it again. And Louie's like, what? I was like, I want to take it again. And uh, they were like, you can't. And I was like, show me the rule book where it says I can't. I'm like, well, you can, but I was like, just put it back on and let me fucking do it. So I did it. And I was squatting down with it. It felt okay. I hit the hole and started coming back up. And all of a sudden, my rib popped out of place. And I tore all the cartilage in my side of my rib, you know, down, down oh. my side, my serratus. And uh, I still did it. I still fought all the way up and did it. And I racked it, and then I fainted. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, it was That's probably, such I mean, a gangster move. I dumped the weight. Between the time yeah. I dumped the weight and when I actually did it, it was probably 30 seconds at the most. And so it oh, was real? not one of the smartest Jesus. things I've done. But yeah, I did it. That's yeah. insane, man. Did a lot of crazy insane. shit like that back then. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was a recent interview, and this is actually a story that I thought you were going to tell me now. Uh, there's a recent interview that Louie did. And he talked about you showing up real late to a meet and then just opening cold with like seven or 800 on the bar. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. So what happened that day was, people always ask me why I was late. So I I went to breakfast that morning with everybody and I asked John Stafford. Now, John Stafford's a subject to a lot of my stories because him and I, him and I already got pretty close to Westside. And so, he went, hey, what time are you going to the comp? He's like, I don't know, maybe maybe one ish. I was like, okay. And so, I assumed I had to be there at one because he, he was competing too. And so, I showed up at noon. I showed up an hour early, just get ready and warm up and foam roll and stuff. So I showed up an hour early. I walked in the room like everybody, everybody was warming up. I'm like, what the fuck? John Stafford was there. I was like, John, what the fuck? He goes, I didn't know. I'm like, why did you say <laughs> I don't know? Instead of telling me one. He's like, sorry. And so I go, I go, Louis, how much time do we have? He's like, you got to get out there right now. And I was like, fuck. And so they had, they had, I think, 750 on the bar. And so I threw 900 on it. I did a single. Then I went out and squatted 1,003 for the world record. That's so bananas, man. <laughs> but I had to. You know, I had to. And that was a big yeah. thing, too, is that, you know, my whole life, my whole life at that time was based upon winning coughs. If I didn't win, I was getting paid. So yeah. it was very, very important that I won. Yeah, and that that's one of the reasons why, like, in my opinion, you see a lot of, like, Russians and why they're so much better than a lot of other athletes. It, because of that mentality, it's like that's actually their life. That's their that's their lifestyle. Like, that's their livelihood. That's their income. That's how they provide it for their family. So the level of motivation is just so much higher than someone here who, who has an easier route because they have a job 
they have all this other stuff. They're just like, oh, well, this is something I do for fun, you know? And, and I mean, I'm not hating on that. Like people are going to do it for the reasons they want, but at the same time, it's like, there's a definitive line in, in, in the sand where, where you can see a big you difference. You the same language, right? I, I don't I can't coach you. I, <laughs> I, I, I can do it. I can do it one-to-one. Like here, mm-hmm. I, I honestly train very few polishers. I train mostly triathletes, CrossFitters, stuff like that. And I'm able to do it in person. But when I'm on my online team, which is my baby, like if you're not doing what I want you to do and you're here to have fun, you're on the wrong fucking team, you know? Yeah. I'm super, super, super competitive to the point where you know, it's not always good. You know, I, I get myself that that brain, and it makes it hard for me to do day to day things. Like when I have a guy yeah. competing on my team, you know, I, I I can't think about anything else. You know, I I have to be with him mentally, and so yeah, you know, it causes the problems here and there. But it's me. That's what you get. So yeah, well, that just kind of brings up another point. Um, I guess that that I wanted to bring touch on is. Um, balance like a lot of the times people talk about balance you know they're like you need balance you need a balanced life you need this and that and like on the one hand like if, if you look at balance as like let's say a spectrum right so this is like the most extreme you can get and this is the least extreme you can get right a lot of times people think balance is like right in the center but oftentimes like you got to be right at the end of that like really really close to that extreme but then balance out the rest of your life so that that becomes your right. balance almost. Right, right, right. And so you're like, you're so, you're so off kilter, but because you have set up your lifestyle to like allow you to sleep 10 hours a day, you know, you have a massage therapist or whatever other, you know, therapists that work on you. Like it's, it's, it's pretty extreme. So yeah. like, do you ever think about balance in your life? No. I'm completely fine with no balance in my life. I'm completely okay uh-huh. with that, you know? Like, for me, yeah. like, especially when I, when I was over in Ohio, there was no balance. It was, it was, it was, it's all I did, all I thought about. It was my entire yeah. day. Like, say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. But for me, being successful, they all had to be in one basket, you know? If, mm-hmm. I, if, I, if I had other options, I probably would have taken them, you know what I mean? For me, mm-hmm. it was this or nothing. You know, it was, it was win, it was be the best or, or nothing. I'm not sure what the, I had no backup plan. I'm not sure what it was, you know? So it yeah. had to work, you know, at least in my mind. So I thought if I have no backup plan, it's basically winning me the best or be homeless. And so yeah. for me, you know, balance, of course, is great and stuff like that. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. People tell me all the time, you know, I find more balance. But I don't really care about anything else. You know, I want to be the best at this. I don't, I don't need to be the best fucking hiker. I don't need the best fucking, you know, whatever. This is it. This is all I want yeah. to do. And I'm fine with this being the only thing in my life. I'm totally fine with that. Other than my daughter, of course. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with that as well. Like when they're, when they're faced with someone who's like so extreme and so right. serious, like it's so, it's so abnormal that it's people so just weird. don't know what to do. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. because I don't know, to me, uh, like I, I, I get that because that's kind of what I'm trying to work towards. Right. And so I'm having to lay down some sacrifice. I'm having to do all that stuff, you know, and, and eventually hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll get somewhere really cool. But if someone who's just, you know, like they have a family and they just kind of are doing their thing, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it appears from the outside, but it must seem like fucking bananas to them. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's funny, actually, how you said, 
you know, about giving yourself different options, right? Because one of the things, so, so even since I've been back in, in Calgary, like I haven't seen my, my friends, like I've been going out and I'm just not even going to, and I kind of set like a weird rule for myself that I'm not going to have friends in the same city anymore. Um, I'll just call my friends and they'll be in another city and that's all good. Because the, the one thing that I realized was like, just, so I, I had a squat session today and it was pretty, pretty shitty, like in the sense of it was super fucking hard. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, would I rather be doing that or would I rather go out on the patio, really nice weather, you know, with, with like some, some friends and like a really hot girl. So obviously I'd rather do that, you know? And I think the more that you give yourself these, like, I don't want to call them rewards, but yeah, the more, the more you let yourself be involved in that world, the more you're like, man, fuck that. I do not want to do, I don't want to go back to that. That sucks, you know? Um, and it's... Yeah, it's it's tough because like you, at least for me, I don't know if there would be a good balance. I don't know if I would be able to kind of even just right. once a week go out and do that sort of stuff because I, That's what I, do. I honestly think that it would That's like I do it. just completely derail me. It might actually work. Um, That's how I sort of always have done it. Like Monday yeah. through Friday, I'm like, I train Saturday, I train today. Saturday, we go for beers, you know, Saturday, we go for beers. I met a girl, yeah. we're going to have some drinks tonight, you know. Um, so I find myself, it's a lot easier to do if you're one day a week where you let go of it. And mm-hmm. I've been doing it for as long as I can remember. You know, and I, I've always been kind of known as a wild party animal, but I'm not. It's one day a week, you know. So yeah. That's when people see me at the bar, I'll have a good time. I'll do yeah. it, you know, not, not 40 now, but when I was younger, you know, I'd go out and party hard one day a week, and then Sunday morning, <clears> right back to it, right back on schedule. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, you know, honestly. you got to celebrate yeah. a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah no that's fair it's that's that that's that kind of weird balance that people have to find and again when i say balance i don't necessarily mean like a 50 50 neutral or anything like that it's just whatever's going to work for you to to hit those targets for me it's um, like 97 like and 3 you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so one of the crazy things uh that i want to talk about as well um was the fact that you have several world records that came after your stroke which is just fucking bananas to me you know like that that was something where i was like i remember reading you know reading up on you and being like okay like you broke these records you did this you did this you did this and you know like um and then i remember after i heard that i was like what like you couldn't i remember you saying you couldn't grab a towel with your hand but you but you were still able to bench like four something yeah Yeah. and i was like how the fuck does that work and like how how did that whole process come about where you're just like, nah, I'll be back? Um, it took a while, actually. I won't lie. It took a long time. Yeah. Um, after that happened, I was sort of, you know, it really, really brought me off my high horse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I had a stroke in, in 2010. I didn't compete. I didn't do my first comp back for 2013. It's not like I was, like, training the entire time. Like, I was pretty sure I was done. And then uh, we... I, I, I was like, okay, I can I can apply my my process, my you know to something else, and so I got a job at a gym um, selling gym memberships, pretty normal day, you know, normal normal job. I said, okay, I'm gonna get here and I'll work my way up to the top. So within two months, I was regional manager, and uh, they would give us they would give the managers a few hours a day to train together, can um, grab some food, stuff like that. And so everybody was in there deadlifting. I'm like, Greg, come show us how to deadlift. I'm like, I, I don't know. They're like, we know who you are. You know, we know you, we know you know how to deadlift. But the thing about it was that my right hand, I couldn't I couldn't grab a bar. I couldn't hold onto a bar. 
and so I can work for like four oh five. So eventually they talked me into it. And I was like, okay, I'll show you the two twenty five. And I realized at that point, this is probably about a year after the stroke. I realized I could grab the bar. So I went two twenty five, three fifteen, four oh five, uh, you know, four ninety five. Then I went six seventy five, five eighty five, and six seventy five. And I was like, oh shit, I got it. I still got this. And I was still routinely benching five hundred plus pounds. And so I went in the office where the, the big dog was, the big boss man. And I was like, hey, man, I quit. He's like, what the fuck? He was like, I gotta quit. He's like, you're the hardest working guy I've ever had. What do you mean you quit? I go, I'm moving back to Maine. I gotta start piloting again. He goes, like, do it here. I was like, nah, I'm good. I wanna start the process where I started in the first place. So I moved back yeah. here. I started training. It was really tough at first. People don't understand the difference between, between gear lifting and raw lifting. It's huge, it's major. The, just the mechanics and the way we train. And so I started, I went right back in training West Side. It wasn't working. I was, I was, my body was so beat up. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't walk. My hips were so messed up. And so I called Brandon and Lily, and he was like, he was like, you know, he was like, how many rollers were there at West Side? I was like, that is exactly. So he he sent me over his program. I started running that. It was it was so hard because of all the volume. I had never really done that kind of volume before. And so, but as soon as I started doing it, I was watching my body change. And eventually in 2013, I believe, I came back into RAW, and I totaled 2,000 in my first comp. I squatted 750, I benched 500, mm-hmm. and I doubled at 750. And at that point, I was like, holy shit, I'm back. I can do this again. And so it was working, you know, from that. Basically, that was my starting point. It was 2,000. And, uh, you know, I, I think probably had I gone into RAW in my 20s, I probably still would have been the best on the planet, honestly. I was a very, very mm-hmm. good raw lifter. I squatted 719. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just a, just a process like everything else. You know, I realized I was going to suck at first and work my way up. So, I mm-hmm. didn't. You know, I, I couldn't squat 400 pounds raw yeah. when I first started. You know, I probably could, but mechanically, I couldn't get down there. I was using that really yeah. wide stance and trying to sit back into it. And it wasn't working. So, I, I started watching, you know, the raw guys lifting like that looks totally different than what I'm doing so I started yeah. copying it and it worked well I looked it up and I I don't know if it's still valid but at least at one point you were the best raw lifter and equipped lifter combined Probably. like no one's no one's had no one's had a higher combined total in raw and uh and I, equipped I bet, I bet it's true I bet it's still true yeah maybe Brandon Lilly I don't think so, um, unless unless something changed. I remember reading that recently, like before when I was doing a little bit of research on on uh, on you, and so I was like, "Holy shit!" Like I didn't know that. Matt That's Winning. pretty bananas. Matt, Matt, Matt Winning has Matt Winning's done the more. Oh, okay. It's funny. No, the difference, I, like for for your weight class, though. Oh yeah, no, I don't think anybody's even close, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So when when you when you lifted that uh, six seventy five, did you go after and quit right away? No, I really, the thing about it was, was the squat. I realized, so after I had the stroke, I was like, I don't have to squat anymore. I, I fucking I hate squatting. I absolutely yeah. hate it. So I was like, I want to bodybuild. So I was doing like half squats, leg presses, stuff like yeah. that. And then when I went back to half squat again, that's when the real, the real problem started. You know? Oh, okay. So it yeah. really took probably two years to learn how to squat after that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a process. Those people have to understand. It doesn't happen right away. It's a process. And I love the process. And I think that's what separates me. I love that. I, I love sucking. It was, it was fun for me. It was like, I suck fun. I mean, this is great. I had yeah. no place to work out from. Where one of the best in the world is like, how do you work out from that? How, how, do I, 
how do I how do I do any more than that? You know, so I had yeah. I, it, was, it was nice to feel like I had something to actually work on, and so it, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, they always say it's harder to become or it's harder to stay the champ than become the champ because you're just not as hungry. Um, okay, so one question. What's uh, what's one opinion you have on training that isn't necessarily like super well established, or maybe it goes against the grain a little bit, but you know you feel confident kind of putting your your name on that and being like, you know what, even though this isn't necessarily validated, maybe I don't understand the mechanisms, you know, I really believe this to be true. Um, it may be validated, but I think your first the first part of this process has to be looking like a lifter. So that's what I did when I was a kid. I said, okay. I'm not as good as these guys, but I want to look like them. And so I spent seven years building muscle, kind of pseudo bodybuilding type type stuff. And when I went into my first comp, I won best lifter. I broke every state record at 220. Um, but I was very, very muscular. I had a ton of muscle. And so I think that needs to be your first your first step is building muscle mass before you even go into it. And that goes with strongman. That goes with CrossFit. And it's something that people don't want to do because it's hard. It sucks. There's not a ton of instant gratification from it. But that has to be your first process. Part of the process has to be to learn how to eat. You eat sufficient calories, um, build that build that mass up. You know, strengthen the lower back. So you have to think about that before you actually do go into training. I believe you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to and what, again, what I'm seeing now is like all these underdeveloped lifters doing west side west side training. And the first question I always ask them is, what is different about you than the guys there? And they always go, well, those guys are a lot bigger. Yeah, exactly. That's what you need to do first. You know. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I, I actually 100% agree. Like I even wrote an article literally on why powerlifters should train more like bodybuilders. You, you look yeah. you look at you look at a lot of the old school powerlifters and they all look yeah. like bodybuilders, yeah. you know, yeah. like Ed Cohen and like Bill Kazmaier, all those yeah. dudes, oh, yeah. like, they're all just That's yoked shit, and you're like, right. Jesus Christ. And then nowadays everyone's trying to like cut weight and go to the lower weight class. Dude, you're six foot tall, man. You don't need to be 145 pounds. Yeah, it's not going to help you. You're going to die. Yeah. yeah it's, it's changed a lot. It's just grown a lot. So a lot more normal people are involved with it than yeah. when I was coming. Everyone, everyone involved in the sport when I was coming was a fucking psychopath. And yeah. so it was easier for me to navigate around in that world than it is now where we're just this overflow of information. Everybody thinks they're great. And it's like, ugh, you know? Yeah. And not quite understanding that this is a physiological process. This is not a, you know, this is not a, uh, this is not an egotistical journey into you being the best you can be. This is, this is all happening, you know, this is all going to happen in stages, you know, throughout. It's going to take five years before you're even competitive. Yeah. But nobody wants to hear that, you know. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. So what's one, one just uh, one last question since we're kind of coming up on that hour mark. Um, what's one piece of advice that you'd give the listeners? Um, just pretty much the same thing I just said. It's always sort of if you read my posts and stuff, it's sort of all, all kind of along the same line. That mm-hmm. it's gonna take time. It's not gonna be a fast process. Learn technique, learn how to learn how to build muscle. People are so obsessed with like the this, this little minute aspects of it. What kind of knee wraps are you wearing? What kind of wrist yeah. wraps? I don't fucking know. I found them on the floor somewhere, you know? It's not about <laughs> what you're wearing. If you, if you can buy it, if it's something you can purchase, it's not going to help you that much. What's going to help you is this. You know, your mindset yeah. is everything. <clears throat> and that's going to be the driving force. It's sort of, either you got it or you don't, you know? And you can learn it for sure, but it's going to take a long time to, to figure out how to, mm-hmm. you know, navigate around contests, how to work your way up from local, international, into world, if that's your goal, of course. 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it just that just that it's gonna take time. You know, I have a lot of people sign up for my team the last a month, nothing's really happening, they're gone. You yeah, better that way. If you're jumping from from, then I see him jump into like you know a conjugate style program. In two weeks, we're hitting huge PRs. I'm like, yeah, you just did a fucking peak. We were gonna do that too before the call, you know. And then nothing ever happens yeah. again. But it's gonna take time. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be a long process, and just gear up for it. No, 100%. Couldn't agree more. And I actually, uh, that reminded me because I, I pulled up your, your post right now. Saw it earlier today and I laughed my ass off. And so I, I'll, I'll read it now. It's uh, a program without accountability is like a dick without balls. Damn right. Don't work. <laughs> gotta flap 100%, yeah. That's awesome, man. So where, where can the listeners find you if they want to know more about you, they want to see where you're at, maybe even Absolutely. get some. Uh, my, my Instagram is Big Poppy Panora. Um, I coach through Train Heroic, so if you want to get a hold of me on Train Heroic, um, go to the website, trainheroic.com. You can find me there, sign up there, hit me up, throw me a text message, an email, whatever, an uh, instant message, a, uh, direct a DM. Um, you know, just get a hold of me. I'll talk about it with you. I'll tell you how we do this, why we do what we do. I can answer any question you have, so love to hear from you guys. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Really, Thank really you. appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was really great chatting. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and took a lot from it that you can apply to your own situation to see much better results. I just have one quick personal favor to ask of you. Please make sure you subscribe and leave me a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're using. When you do this, it helps me get better at producing content and increases my exposure so I can continue putting out high-quality information for you guys. Next, I want to extend a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram at StackedStrength. I'll help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to connect with me directly, so make sure you head on over and jump into my DMs. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.